I knew that I could make my own systems that I hadn't didn't have to depend on the distribution of the publishing world or the gallery world. Welcome to the November 1st, 2018 edition of the Hyperallergic Weekly Podcast Art Movements. Dianita Singh makes book objects. She doesn't like calling them artist books, preferring to call them exhibitions and other things we don't normally associate with books. She's also having a small retrospective at Calicoon Fine Arts on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And the display, well, it's halfway between what you'd expect from a home furnishing store and an art gallery. A table of boxes, carafes, glass paperweights, and pillows lures you into the space from the vitrine on the street. Once you step in, on the right, there's a wall of accordion books covered in black and white images arranged on narrow shelves. And directly in front of you, there's a table of packets hand-tied with a rough fabric. A beautifully constructed table and two stools sit in the left corner. Made of teak, they sit in front of a grid of images, which are part of another book object project. On the wall to the right, two jackets hang. On the front are nine pockets, while on the back, the words, my life as a museum is stitched in a cursive script. The display piqued my interest, and I was curious what Singh meant by the book object. So I invited her in to tell us. So I wanted to talk to you about your love of books, because you have a very unique way of how you use books in galleries and how you produce them and how you conceive them, because they're not traditional artist books. How would you describe them? If they're not artist books, what do you call them? When I make them, which title I call them mass-produced artist books. Okay. And then I transform them and call them book objects. Book objects. Okay. So where did that come from? Where did that idea come from? I always, always thought the book is my work. Mm -hmm. The prints on the wall were a catalog of my book. Okay. But everyone said to me, Dianita, a book is a book and an exhibition is an exhibition. Right. So don't try and marry the two. And I thought, that's what I need to do. <laughs> you're like, you're like, you're telling me not to do it. I'm going to do it. Well, because I really wanted the book to be the exhibition. And I even wanted to sneak my slimmer books into the back of the frames just so that the collector that acquired the work would know that they just had one note from my symphony oh wow but then that's when the gallery said no 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 you keep it separate please don't bring the book into the gallery space it's two separate worlds got it so when i think of books versus galleries books have a much more linear sense of time than galleries is that what appeals to you? Like, what is it about the book versus gallery object? Or, I mean, eventually these books will become gallery objects or museum objects, but you're transgressing, like this sort of sense of, is it the time that fascinates you? What is it about that? Because they're different. Obviously, we know they're different things, but you're saying, no, I'm going to marry these in a way. Well, exhibitions come and go. You saw this, you may not have seen it. But the book remains, no? Mm -hmm. Now, if I had a book of all my book objects, somewhere that would have reached you. So exhibitions are just 
you know, they're passing by. Mm -hmm. The book remains. I love the dissemination of the book. I love the fact that if I drop a copy here, mm -hmm. 50 years later, your grandchildren might be looking at it. I love the way books travel. So when I made a project for the Gardner Museum, I made a book called Chairs, and that was given to 50 people to disseminate to whoever they liked. So it was not sold. It had to be distributed by friends all over the world. Mm -hmm. So when I had the opportunity to meet Saul Lewitt uh, in Hartford, I thought, what do I take this great book artist right. uh, and great conceptual artist? And I thought, I'm going to take him one of my chairs books. And he was quite frail by then. And I sort of handed it to him in a very precious way. And I said, sir, this is what I brought for you. He started laughing and said, Dianita, keep it. I have three already. <laughs> so I knew that I could make my own systems, that I hadn't, didn't have to depend on the distribution of the publishing world huh. or the gallery world. Saul Lewitt already had three of them. He didn't have time or interest to come to any of my exhibitions. Right. But he got the chairs book, which was my first book exhibition. The way you're describing them, they almost sound like messages in a bottle or a time capsule or something. Like, you know, I'm trying to understand how you conceive them because that's what the way you're talking about them. That's the way I feel. Well, I mean, sent a letter was literally letters to right. writer friends. Now, you know. when. So you do you want to describe sent a letter for people? Because that was your first project. Yes. Correct. So do you want to describe it for people who may not know this project? Sent a letter is my first book exhibition. It's a box that has within it seven accordion fold books mm -hmm. that become seven exhibitions. So then with that little box, you could have an exhibition wherever you liked on the street, in a museum. It could work in all situations. Um, the books were made originally uh, in a Japanese accordion fold moleskin book by cutting up my medium format contact sheets, six centimeter by six centimeter, for my writer friends that I traveled with because how could I write, you know, it was an amazing time to travel with you. Oh, so this small? Tiny. Tiny. Oh, wow. So for the publication, we yeah, enlarged yeah, them yeah. a little that bit. Was, got it. Okay. But I would just cut them out, paste them, and give you a copy gotcha. and keep one for myself. So when I made my 32nd such book for Steidl when he came to India, he said, oh, my God, what is this? And I said, oh, it's something I've been doing for years. It's the 32nd one. He said, I want to print them all. So I said, no, we can't print them all. I'd never be able to make proper prints of, you know, in those days I made silver prints. So we printed seven of them. Mm -hmm. And the boxes were made in India because I wanted them made out of the cloth with which we uh, send packages in the post. And so 3,000 boxes were made in India, shipped empty to Göttingen and where Steidl inserted the seven book exhibitions. And they're quite inside. beautiful. They're quite beautiful, Thank I must say. And then there's like a vest apron with pockets that allow you to insert the books as like this kind of impromptu exhibition. Well, the jacket is for the next book that happened 10 years later for the Museum Bhavan book. Gotcha. There we are. And that's why the back of the jacket says my life as a museum. Yes, which I love. I love that. And the jacket has nine pockets for the nine museums that I made for myself, these large wooden structures that I thought would remain in my house. And I would be Museum Bhavan. Mm -hmm. I would be the museum and you would come to me 
on every full moon and it had trustees and a manifesto. But what I didn't realize was that other museums, larger museums like MoMA, would like to have my museums. <laughs> so my museums got acquired it's a by good other problem. museums. It's a good problem to have, isn't it? So for those who may not know, what does Bhavan mean? Bhavan actually means a hall for gathering with some religious and other connotations. Gotcha. So for me, my house was going to be Museum Bhavan, where all these different museums would live. But then as they got acquired... And I realized, oh, my God, all my museums are in storage. Well looked after, but basically they're going to sit in storage. Many of them I may not, never see again. So I was quite bereft and went to Steidl and said, can we make a miniature museum, Bhavan? Could we make a box with nine accordion fold museums in it. You, you know what I love about this? You know, most artists would be like, they were acquired by institutions, and that's great. I'm glad they're in. You were sad. Well, you know, I work with photography, and for right. me, the image is a very small part of photography. I mean, that's a given, mm -hmm. right? So you make strong images or whatever you want to call them, whatever you think of my work. But the real work, is in the dissemination, and mm -hmm. that only photography can do. You know, if a sculptor oh. or a painter did this, it would be reproductions of their work going out. Right, no? right. But when you buy the Pothi box, I say to you, that is my work. You're not oh. buying a reproduction of my work. And photography can do that. Earlier, 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 we used to have silver gelatine prints, and mm -hmm. that would be the original, and you would scan that, and then the book would be the reproduction. Fine, right. I'm with you. That was okay. There was no other way, either a book or a print right. on the wall. But when I started to make digital prints, I actually thought I preferred the quality of Steidl's offset. So now, if I say offset is my medium, and I sometimes call myself an offset artist. I love that, an offset. I've never heard yeah. anyone use that term. Yeah, I'm an offset artist, and the title of the show today is being changed to My Offset World. Really? Yes, because it's no longer a pop-up bookshop. I didn't realize it would all hold together like one work. Mm. So I just said to Foti, let's change the title. And he said, send out a press release. And I said, yeah, urgent, title change, My Offset World, 10 years of making book objects. It's actually like a retrospective of all my book objects. I know. And I wanted to ask you about the way it's displayed. Because the language of display is, is somewhat commercial. Do you know the way it's sort of organized in these kinds of, you know, you're almost going to find potpourri or something. Because also the way the um, vest, the jacket is sort of displayed. And so what was the specific kind of thing you were trying to get at? I was trying to say that we need to have a place which is between the bookshop and the art gallery, between publishing and the art world. And this was like an experiment to see because the only thing in between that I could think of was a shop. And we'll have to find another name for it. Hmm. But I thought it's a completely new idea. I don't want to throw people off completely in the display as well. So we have all that shiny glass in the window. Oh, yeah. So we're getting lots of walk-in people 
sort of tantalized by the glass. You know, I, I know the gallery and I was disoriented at first. I was like, wait, is this it? Because it was exactly <laughs> that reaction. Because it had that yeah. it had that sort of vitrine. Exactly. And, you, and it sort of like lures you in. Yes. But it disorients you yes. a little. Yes, yes. Okay. And so I don't know what the architecture of these spaces in the future will be. Mm-hmm. It's the first of the idea. Let's see. I would have to work on it for a few years to see what that form could be, what the architecture could mm-hmm. be. But till we find the space for the book objects, I'm suggesting to Foti that if we can do pop-ups between exhibitions, mm-hmm. because it's not sustainable with the numbers for an art gallery. Right. And yet, in a bookshop, it again goes back to going on the bookshelf. And I want to say that this is an artwork that you acquire for your house that you will interact with every day, that you might change the images, and that I will not be fossilized like a print on the wall, and neither will I be a book on your bookshelf. It's so interesting because people often think of books as sort of old school or traditional. You're talking about them in this very kind of like radical way that sort of they sort of like have lives of their own and they sort of go off into the world. And if you can make an object out of them, Mm -hmm. they're like sculptures. I mean, sometimes I thought I could call these books sculpture, but I didn't want to take words of another medium. So for now, it's book object. It might become something else. And I'm talking to lots of students because I think, especially in a place like India where you're so dependent on galleries and there's Mm -hmm. just a few galleries, we have to find our own form for showing our work, no? If I could put sent a letter in the jewelry shop for 10 years, I mean, that beats any exhibition I might have in a museum, in the biggest museum in the world even, no? I like that. You're playing with hierarchies, too, of display. Absolutely. So that's really important. Now, I have a feeling there are some early memories with some awesome books in your past. Are there any stories you want to share? Because there must be books that changed your life. Do you know about that? I don't know about it, but I bet you there is. No, tell me seriously. You know about something? No, I don't. Really? Yeah. I don't believe you. I don't. Why would you ask me that question? I'm feeling guilty now. Why? I mean, because it's because it's clear. If you have the, I think any artist who spends this much time. Really? Really. Okay. Well, I mean, the straight answer is uh-huh. that, you know, my mother's a photographer. She okay. made albums. A book was made to be made. I love photo- that you're so surprised by my question. <laughs> because I'll tell you the story. Okay, there we are. So I was studying at ICP mm-hmm. in 1989. And before that, India was still a closed economy. So, you mm-hmm. know, one didn't see a lot of books and it was a different time. And at ICP, I was introduced to the work of Robert Frank. Mm. And I think the reprint of lines of my hand had been brought out by Scarlo. It's a large book with a white gateway cover and like a pencil sketch of a hand on it. And in that book, uh, Robert Frank has scribbled on photographs, he scratched his negatives. And, you know, this is not what the school was teaching us. Uh, He had no, he wasn't like, you know, oh, this is a photograph. He treated it like he would his own objects. And that book felt very, very important to me. And Mm -hmm. I had to have it. And I knew, I knew that I could not be an artist if I didn't have that book. So on a cold winter morning, I put on a large black coat 
and I managed to convince my friend Michael Richter to come with me to the ICP bookshop. <laughs> I like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> and he occupied the the sales lady and I slipped the book into my <laughs> coat and I walked out of there while he continued the argument with the lady. See, it was at my school. Wow, that's incredible. I wasn't expecting that, but that's better than I expected. <laughs> it doesn't end here. Oh, okay. So I had the book and I shared it with Michael. And it was it's, it's a wild book. It's not what you expect from photography when you're a student or in those days. So that was 89. In 97, I got a call from Robert Frank's lawyers. And I thought, shit, the FBI has found me, that there was a camera in the shop. Ten years later. Yeah. And I I was guilty because, you know, you're brought up not to steal and you generally don't steal. But you must understand. But you needed that book. I had to have it. You had to have that book. I wouldn't be who I I am. I think any court would not convict you. I think so. Now. Now. Then the call from Robert Frank's lawyer saying, Robert Frank heard that you're doing this project with family portraits and no one's going to fund it. How much money would you like to complete the project? And I said, no, no, this is some, this is the FBI. You know, they're going to, they're going to catch me. (laughs) And I said, I don't need any money. And uh, no, 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 I'm not. And I can't give him prints. These are pictures of families and and they said, no, he's very serious. He has a grant called the Andreas Frank Foundation Grant for his daughter who died in an airplane crash. And so then it started to sound serious. And I said, well, I'd like $10,000, which was a huge amount of money at that time. And today, today you could give me $100 million and it couldn't match $10,000 then. I made that $10,000 last for three years. And made my privacy book from it. And in 2002, I met Robert Frank at the Scarlow Bookshop. And I told him that, you know, I'm the one you gave the grant to. Thank you. But also there's a backstory. And so what he did was fantastic. He went to the bookshop. Uh He stole his own book. I mean, maybe they saw him and, you know, he can steal his own book. (laughs) And he made this beautiful drawing of Manhattan. And gave me the same book. Wow. So that's why I thought, like, you know the story. I don't know the story. I didn't know anything about that. So that's... <laughs> that, that's that's a, quite a beautiful, I know. like, genealogy of these, of these yeah. book projects. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you had yeah. this sort of gift from Robert Frank. So what do you think? What was it about, like, first of all, why did you need to have that book? One. Like, because, I mean, you know, Robert Frank, of course, is a wonderful artist, but, you know, there are a lot of artists in the world. But what was it about his images or maybe his book specifically? And then why do you think, what do you think he recognized in your work that clearly spoke to him? I don't know what he recognized in my work. You didn't talk about it? No, no. He doesn't talk very much. You can't have a long conversation with Robert Frank on this. You're a friend of his. Mm -hmm. And I'm too much in awe of him to have like a long conversation. So that I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It may have just been that he was actually just finding projects that nobody would fund and supporting them. That's all. I don't think it had anything to do with the qualities of my work. Oh, come on. You're being being too humble. No, no. I mean it. I mean it. I don't know where he could have seen it. I hate to tell you, Danita, but most people don't get phone calls and say, we want to complete your project. 
I think it was a recommendation. It might have been from Walter Keller. It may have been from someone else. I don't know. I really don't know. I but promise. Clearly, you. there was a connection there. Yeah, and well, because see, we all know Robert Frank's *The Americans* mm -hmm. and how that changed photography. And of course, I loved his tentative eye. Mm -hmm. You know, there's music in his pictures, and you can sort of do a dance when you look at his images. And there's poetry, and so they're not like great photographs. Mm -hmm. You know, where everything is in its place. None of that. But in that book. It wasn't just a book. It was an experience. Mm. The cover itself, I'll never, ever forget. And you must try and see that book. Mm -hmm. It's gateway. It's not even a photo cover. There isn't even a photograph on it. Mm. There's a pencil sketch, probably by a great artist. I'm forgetting the name now. Pencil sketch on the cover. What was the name of the book again for people? Lines of My Hand. Okay. And I think it was a reprint by Scarlo. And then inside, Robert Frank, as I said, had completely altered the photographs. He had scratched on them. He had uh, scratched the negatives. He had written on them. It was, it was an artwork. Right. It wasn't a photo book. It wasn't about, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I just look, pulled I it up. Have, so we're looking at cover. it now. I see. This cover. Right. So that's the 1989 cover. It was originally exactly. published in 1972. Okay. So I don't have the 72 version. I have the 1989 version. And it was $40 at that time. And as a young student, you can imagine $40 was like $400 today. You know? So I'm going to read this little description mm -hmm. of this version because I think it ties into what we're talking about a little bit. It says, for this book, this is for the Robert Frank Lines of My Handbook, the structure itself mirrors the rhythm of Frank's life, but it is his short personal texts like diary entries that fully bring his voice into the book. In its original combination of text and image, its fearless self-reflection and its insistence on photography and film is equal through different aspects of the artist's visual language. The line of my hand has become an inspiration for many photographers, like yourself, of course, um, not least Robert Frank himself, who continues and expands his approach in the visual diaries he makes today. He expands the approach. That's it. So does that reflect a little bit of your own process? Absolutely. Okay. Continuously, we have to expand it. Photography got very fixed Mm. With the art world, especially, you know. Is it because of the monetization of it? Or why? what do you no, think it is about it? I don't know about the monitor. I mean, that too, I guess they're related. But the fact that to be in a gallery, you had to be a print on the wall. Right. And photography is very organic and it's yeah. changing. And uh, at a certain time, yes, maybe you needed to put photography on the gallery wall to establish it. But then... Blindly, we just continued. Well, and I think it's also interesting that you just sort of, the tendency to put photography in galleries is to make them bigger. And you've sort of shied away from this sort of big, you know, blow up a photo, make it large, make it painting-like. And you've said, no, no I no, like no. to keep it at this yeah. scale. I don't want to make it painting-like. I want, I want it to really feel, if I could, I would give you the print to hold in your hands. Right which is how I deal with photographs. You know, you have shoe mm -hmm. boxes full of photographs. Yep. You know, I didn't grow up in a house where you framed photos on the wall. Photos were put on tables and you put glass over it. 
or you made albums, you lived so, with photos. So that's a good question I'd like to ask you is, so is there a context for the photograph, this kind of photo book in India, that you think maybe some audiences may not understand that has a personal connection or something that you think about sometimes, like in terms of how they're displayed or how people, you know? Yeah, I think, I think the Indian context is certainly there, which is that we don't have any public art institutions. We just have commercial galleries mm -hmm. that are wonderful and try to do everything a museum would do. But there's only so many galleries and only so much they can do. And people don't really walk into galleries. You know, mm. it's not like here. And I mean, dressed like this, you wouldn't go into a gallery right. or like this. Yeah. So they're quite elite institutions. And, you know, again, I come back to when you work with photography, I think the beauty of photography is that you can work at very many different levels. And when you can take your work to the footpath, my dream is to be mm. sold outside the India Museum on the footpath. Really? Yeah, along with the Swiss Alps and the baby pictures and the film stars, right? No, because then you know that there's some merit to the work. <laughs> Within the art world, you know what a little bubble it is. I tried. I went to Sivakasi where they make the calendar art. But I, I, think, I think you're amazing because, you know, it, most people, most artists I talk to are just sort of worried about getting their work in institutions. You're like, I want to be sold in front of the institution for Absolutely. the public. Absolutely. So I'm trying to understand, like, what is it? Is it that you want to be the subversive image that sneaks into people's lives? Is it? I think, yes. Okay. I think it's a privilege to be in your house. It's hmm. a privilege to be in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art. But it's also a privilege to be in your house. And if I give you an object, mm -hmm. if you acquire the Pothi box, it's not something you'll readily part with. And you're going to, I've made it such that you're going to engage with it. So you acquire the Pothi box. A year later, I might make a Bhava box. Mm. Two years later, I might make another box. So my archive, without your knowing, is being built in your house. And I've made it such a desirable object, such a beautiful object, that it's unlikely that you'll just put it in the shelf. It'll be standing on your table or on your wall. People will come and change the cards even if you don't. Right. And I knew that from the beginning. When I made the family portraits that Robert Frank gave me money for, mm -hmm. most of the money went into giving prints to the families. Oh, wow. Because I thought... If I can have my photographs in 300 homes in India, that's my exhibition. Right. I never imagined a museum would be interested in my work. I mean, that was... Right. You're saying because there aren't even institutions in exactly. India. So you weren't really and thinking about that And there were no photos way. in galleries. I right. think the first time photography appeared in a gallery was 1999. It was my show with Nature Mort, you know, wow. with Peter Nagy. That was the first time. So there was no question. Galleries were out of the picture for photography. So you needed to make your own path. Yeah, from the beginning. And it was, you know, a boys club. So that really freed me because I didn't have to. I tried to be part of the boys. Didn't quite work out. And so I thought, fine, I'm on my own. And that was good. I like for those who don't know, you also use uh, Instagram in an interesting way. I just just discovered but distribution seems for those people who is just actually your full name so for those of the who want to find you on instagram but 
How would you describe that then? Because distribution seems to be very important for you. And of, of course, course, nowadays, digital is such a huge part of the distribution. So how do you conceive that considering you're making objects? Do you know? Because that can be some of the biggest challenges for people nowadays. So I use Instagram. I also love Instagram, but I also use it, for example, to make an online catalog of what I'm thinking, mm. you know. Nobody else has been interested in my book objects. I've been here two weeks now. So you're really? the first person. Yeah. So That's hard to believe. They're so beautiful. No, in a critical sort of way. Gotcha. You know? So mm -hmm. no one has called to say, can we do an interview about the book object? I have to do it myself because I feel I'm responsible for it. It's a you don't new wait idea. for anyone. That's no. what I'm realizing. You, you're like, you're like, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I'm not waiting for anyone. Absolutely, this needs to get out in the world. Yeah, because and so I've every day had classes with students from different MFA programs because I thought, forget the colleagues, they're not going to listen to me. Forget the press, they're not going to be interested in book objects right now. Mm -hmm. So. I'm just going to get in students, speak to them about the book object. So I must have spoken to about 150 students in these mm. two weeks, and that's it. They are my little brand ambassadors. They don't know it, but they are, when, the, when they're going to make a book, they're going to think about this. Mm -hmm. So for me, the digital world, Instagram, is a way to present these ideas. So today I put something on how the many ways in which you cannot the Pothi box. Mm -hmm. I've even made a video on how you can make your own bundle. And then I made an online catalog for this exhibition because not everybody can be here. Then I've done a walk through the exhibition. So I think the two can really work well together. However, you cannot buy the Pothi box online. You have to come to the gallery. And you have to be there. I don't have to be there, but you have to come there. Okay. You can't I, don't just, you have to sign it? Isn't there like an aspect of it? There's a signature? That was for the Museum of Chance. Oh, book that was object. the Museum of I'm Those sorry. Are, Those are the Museum of Chance. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry. But the Pothi box, you can't just call the gallery and say, right. oh, FedEx me a copy. No. Gotcha. So they have to be there, present. Yes. I want people to come to the space. And so I use Instagram to bring people there. Right. So now, have there been any surprise reactions to your work? or this project, or this retrospective. Let's call it what it is. It's yeah. your retrospective. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so have there been any surprising reactions to it? I've actually had incredible responses mm -hmm. from the people who've come to the gallery and that I've been able to talk to. Because you see, when people come, when no one is there, say, if Foti is not showing them around or Lynn is not there, you think that, oh, these are just photographs. It's a photography exhibition and it's fine and you walk away. It's only when you sort of peek over that you realize they're books. And then you see the quality and offset is incredible, especially the way Steidl does it. Now, I actually prefer the quality of offset mm -hmm. to digital printing. Right. So what if I say to you, this is the original, this is my work. Then yeah. what are you going to say? You're the artist, you can say it. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. So with the Pothi box, that's the only form. So now let's talk about the furniture in there. Because I have to say, the furniture is stunning. You created that sort of the table with the curator, director, you know, the little flipping sign. And the furniture is beautifully made. Now, what's that? I mean, is that something you've done in the past? Is that something you commissioned? How does that work? I've always lived with 
a certain kind of teak wood finished furniture and I'm working with the same carpenters who've made the furniture in my house for 30 years. Oh wow. It's the same group of people. So first it was the father, yeah. now the son is working with me. They are the ones who made my mobile museums, they are the ones who make the pothi box. Each of those boxes is handmade. The furniture is very important to me in the mobile museums because you know museum curators would say that daini that we can pay for your museum but we are certainly not paying for all your benches and stools too you know we're not paying an extra crate for that and i thought that was not right because how you sit informs how you're going to engage with the work That's what right. the height is what the distance on the table is now in my opinion we should have had a table between us and then there's a different connection between That's right. us right and depending on the width of the table so the table that you saw folds over mm-hmm. if it's closed it's a little too intimate mm-hmm. which can be okay sometimes but then i pull out these something flaps. underneath yeah. flaps and then i turn the table over and then it becomes a nice signing table for me and even forty said look dainita i can fabricate it here you know do we have to pay the shipping for this and i said absolutely it will hold the room i'm glad i'm glad you paid for the shipping because it's it's really a beautiful piece of furniture so now i guess one of the other questions i have about your retrospective it's it's not always clear where one piece starts and the other ends for me too <laughs> so that's that's on purpose Yes, and I love that I can do that with the books. I can't do that with anything else. I have full agency with the book. I can do what I like with it. And I can paste the entire book on the wall if I want. Mm-hmm. And I can cut up one book and paste it into another book. I mean, I it's I love art that can be organic and the book allows me to be organic. and i can keep changing it so out of this museum of chance book objects i made the book object i made a suitcase museum i made a bookcase now i've made museum of gestures i've made the diptychs because first photos were the raw material for the books but now the books have become the raw material for my objects for my exhibitions hmm. and i don't know what will happen next and since i'm in charge of this area i can do what i like with it It's beautiful. What do you think the future of the book is? Of the book object. Absolutely. Because I think there is going to be generations ahead that are not growing up with the book, no? Mhm. So they might be happy to look at whatever the mediums are on some other forms that will develop. So right now my dream would be to have a $30 book. Mhm. really mass produced and to have 300 or 3000 dollar version so you know to have two possibilities but in the future i think the book is going to become an object i'm just right now people are not paying attention but i think 10 years from now there will be galleries selling book objects because the need the desire to make a book will not go away and the love of books is exactly. going in a way no. even even myself who tends to read mostly digital yeah. i collect books exactly so there you go yeah. now that tactile quality people are not going to forget you know mm. you don't forget a sensibility so that will remain it's just that it might become more and more like an object but the future is the book object but the future of the museum for me is the pocket museum hmm so 
I want to bring up something that now I'm thinking about in relation to your, because, you know, with the Robert Frank story, which I love, I think it's a fantastic story. I didn't know it. I don't, (laughs) I I, I swear, swear. It's not not published anywhere. Oh, so I wouldn't know it. Absolutely. Um, But it makes me realize, because when I saw your show, part of it is like, I get that covetousness. Because you're like, Ooh, you're like, oh, I want that thing. Of course. You know, I, I'm still thinking about it. it. I'm still thinking, yeah. you know, and it, what is it about books that has that quality? Because I think it happens with other things, but I think for those of us who love books, it's almost like a talisman quality or something. Like you want it there, but what is the there? Like, even if I don't read it, let's say, yeah. technically, because yeah. some books aren't necessarily yeah. designed to be. Yeah. What is it about having it in your presence? That it's yours forever, that it's full of possibilities. It's like a love affair that you may not consummate. But you know that frisson, that tension is there. That may not be a great way of explaining it, but it's the possibilities that a book holds. And don't you sometimes just like to open a random page, like a message to yourself? Yeah. And I think when photo books change, like Lines of My Hand is a book you could do that with. Right. So it's it's the possibilities that a book holds that makes it so desirable. And it's so intimate, no? You you carry it with you. You can travel with it. You can be in bed with it. And then when the book can also be an exhibition, you've got the book and the possibility of an exhibition. So the more we start to think of the book as an object... Without destroying the essential character of the book. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in cutting up books and uh, burning them and all that. No, no, not yeah, at all. No. I'm a very traditional book person. But how do we transform it? How do I make it so you are just still... I have to make it desirable for you. Uh, I want you to I want you to go back to the gallery and somehow collect mm. that $300, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's the price is important because it's not it's not by any means low. Right. It's not that high. Right. For me. Right. I could somehow imagine collecting, you know, foregoing something, a flight, or somehow saying Right. I can have this. That's right. And the packaging, the bundles that I made is part of that. And so you get it as a gift. So even though you pay three hundred dollars. I still feel I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you 30 images of mine. Mm. And you say, oh, it's offset printed and therefore it's $300. But for me, they're beautifully printed. And so while you pay for it, it's still a gift. It's an experience. And some people are not even going to open the bundle because the bundle itself is so beautiful. Exactly. Well, that's the other thing. How do you display that? I'm working on it. Oh. The next book will be packed and on the wall. I'm working on it. Okay. So because I would have loved to see right. all the bundles on the wall. Right. So now, what's your library like? <laughs> I have walls that move. All wow. my book objects are on walls. And I keep adding more walls. And so the joke amongst people who know me is that one day I will get trapped between all my sliding Walden. walls. Yes. Walden. <laughs> And then they'll have to come look for me and I'll be dead. (laughs) But what a way to go between all the books. What a great way to go. (laughs) Pages and pages. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's so great. 
Well, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you I, so much. I so enjoyed it. And I hope people get to see your retrospective and see your objects. And hopefully they will be freed from the institutions that have decided to put them in storage. <laughs> <laughs> and people will be able to enjoy them. Actually, MoMA is going to show Museum of Chance. Oh, great. When is that? Year. Next year. Fantastic. Okay, so people will be able to see that. But if they don't see it this time at your retrospective, they'll be able to see the um, actual, the actual museum. museum of Chance then. so And you're also in the Carnegie International in Pittsburgh. So yes. those, those who might be in Pittsburgh... Yes. should go and check out that work. And Absolutely. do you want to say the name of that work? Pothi Khana. And what we have in the gallery is Pothi Box, a sort of miniature version of what's in Pittsburgh. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Dianita Singh's book object retrospective at Calicoon Fine Arts, which is located at 49 Delancey Street, continues until December 16th. A special thanks to Flash Trading for providing the music to this episode. I'm Hurag Vartanian, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening and enjoy your week. <laughs>